Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Hey, uh, I, I want to talk about uh, Joy to the World, and it's uh, one of those carols that we uh, uh, sing, and we're actually going to close the service with it today. Uh, but I, I want to read, first of all, from Luke 2 and 8, and it tells us there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I bring good news of great joy. What do you think of when you think of the word joy? Maybe you think of special occasions like Christmas Day, which for many people uh, is a great day. It's a day of family, it's a day of food, it's a day of celebration. Uh, it's a day where we can gather like this. Uh, maybe you think of things like birthdays or holidays, other special events, the things that produce happiness within us. Again, one of those great carols that we sing uh, is Joy to the World. But it's interesting as you look at the Christmas story in the pages of the Bible, uh, the word joy is actually only mentioned once uh, in regards to the birth of Christ. And it's actually in that passage where the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Uh, that actually sounds like a, a pretty good thing. Good news of great joy. But what I find interesting as you read the story is good news of great joy is an announcement made in not terribly joyful times. And I think we've got to dig a little bit deeper into what this announcement truly means to, to understand the context of joy to the world, this context of I bring you good news of great joy. Because the unfolding story particularly in Bethlehem at this time, turns into a great tragedy. In Luke 2 and 15, as the story continues, when the angels had left them and gone into the heaven and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about." So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, as the story progresses, so far so good. But in a very short space of time, this story turns into a great tragedy. We have the visit of what we've traditionally called the wise men from the east who followed a star who had a vision of a king to be born. Now they did at that point when they came uh, something that is probably not terribly wise. They actually go to Herod, who was the reigning king, and tell them about this vision, tell them about this new king that would be born. Now, if there's one thing you do is, or don't do, it's tell the reigning king that there's another king coming. And so Herod, perhaps out of feeling threatened or out of jealousy, issues a decree that every, uh, every boy under the age of two in the region of Bethlehem was to be killed. And there is this incredible tragedy. And as I unpack that, as I think about that, I kind of try to think about it from the shepherd's perspective. Because these shepherds who had this great angelic visitation, these shepherds who went to Bethlehem to find out if it was true and indeed it was, who then excitedly just spread the word everywhere. So these rumours were rife because of the testimony of the shepherds. But I would think in this horrible tragedy that if not in their own family, at least those that they were perhaps close to or friends would have experienced the tragedy of Herod's decree. I wonder how they felt. Now at the same time that all of this is going on, Joseph is actually warned in a dream that this is about to happen. And so he takes Mary and Jesus and hides out down in Egypt. And... uh, they escape this horrible decree of Herod's. Again, thinking about the shepherds, they would not have been aware that Joseph had had this visitation. They wouldn't have been aware that he'd taken Mary and Jesus down to Egypt. And they probably would have assumed that Jesus himself would have fallen victim to Herod's decree. I'm sure all of these events would have raised some pretty big questions in the minds of the shepherds. What happened to the good news of great joy? What happened to that child? There's no question that what we witnessed that night was so real. But it seems to have all come to nothing. In the space of a couple of years, Herod actually died. And so Joseph uh, leaves Egypt with his family and comes back to the region. They don't settle back in Bethlehem. It's not where they were from anyway. They actually settle in Nazareth, which is over 100 kilometers north of Bethlehem. And back in Nazareth, settling back into life, Mary kept all of this to herself. She keeps the true identity of Jesus to herself. And so Jesus grows up in Nazareth in total obscurity, just being a normal boy, doing the things that normal boys do, playing with the other kids, probably going to the local village synagogue, 
uh, learning his father's trade in his dad's carpenter shop. And that's how it was for 30 years. After 30 years, he goes down to the Jordan River and John the Baptist recognises who Jesus is. John the Baptist says, this is the one. This is the promised one. John the Baptist would have witnessed that voice from heaven, God's voice saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And at that moment, 30 years after his birth, Jesus is launched into his ministry. He heads back to the region of Galilee and that's where his ministry plays out. As far as we know, they never returned to Bethlehem. Uh, as far as we know, Jesus, uh, from the account Scripture give us, gave us, uh, never went to Bethlehem again. The closest he would have come is the few occasions that he uh, travelled to Jerusalem. But think of what it would have been like for those shepherds in those 30 years where nothing seemed to have happened. I'm sure there was all kinds of questions, both internally, but probably also from their wives. Hey, that angel thing that you talked about all those years ago, what really happened? Were you and the boys just, you know, a bit too much Christmas cheer? It's like, no, 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 it was real. It was real. Didn't you say something about good news of great joy? A child to be born? Yeah, we did. It was so real. Well, where's the child and where's the good news of great joy? Because all that seemed to come out of that was a great tragedy. And this would have been what they had to wrestle with. This long period of silence. Most dictionary definitions seem to limit the definition of joy purely to emotion. And it talks about rejoicing, delighting, gladness, to enjoy. But Scripture speaks of joy in totally different terms. And as we discover how Scripture treats the word joy, which is mentioned over 200 times in the Bible, we discover... It's not circumstantial. It's not about the now. It's actually outward-looking and forward-looking. It's looking beyond the present moment. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Hebrews 12 and 2, speaking of Jesus. And the writer says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's a bizarre statement who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And the context of joy is not in the immediate sense of the cross. There's no joy in the cross. But there was joy in a forward-looking and outward-looking in what God would accomplish in and through the cross, of what God would accomplish through the pain and the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. And as I've said on a number of occasions, joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is a good feeling on a good day when the sun is shining and the grass is green. 
but it's all external, it's all environmental, it's also incredibly superficial and fragile, and it's also incredibly subjective. Because two people can experience exactly the same event, and that event will produce the opposite emotional response. For example, you can have two men standing in a rainstorm, one will be angry, the other one will be happy. It's the same event, but they have conflicting emotions. What's the difference? Well, one is a golfer and one is a gardener. And if you ask the guy why he's angry, he will say, I'm angry because it's raining. If you ask the guy why is he happy, he'd say, I'm happy because it's raining. And so these two people have experienced the same event, but they have totally different emotions because of what they believe about that event, but also how that event personally impacts them and that's not what spiritual joy is about when it says Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross it wasn't about nice circumstances later on in the book of James James uh, writes this in James 1 and 2 consider it pure joy my brothers that's how he starts the sentence and you would expect consider it pure joy when everything's going great and when the grass is green and the sun is shining But he doesn't say that. He actually says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's a bizarre sentence. And fortunately, the sentence doesn't end there because if the sentence ended there, it would be very twisted. It would be very masochistic. Masochism is when you derive uh, pleasure from pain. It doesn't end there. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And he's saying, consider it joy, not because of the trials, not because of the difficulties, consider it joy because God wastes nothing and God is going to bring something for the better in and through this, in and through your life. So, Be joyful when you face the trials because in God, those trials can be incredibly productive. And when the Bible talks about joy, it's never talking about something superficial. And when the the angels announced, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, the angels aren't saying to the shepherds, go down to Bethlehem, you'll see the baby, and then everything will be absolutely fantastic. There will be never any problems. All the problems of humanity will suddenly come to an end. No, from that point, they ran into this tragedy, this crisis, this horrible plan of Herod to remove what he perceived was any threat to his throne. <coughs> and Jesus... As far as those who witnessed the events of his birth were concerned, totally dropped off the radar, probably presumed dead. He was gone for 30 years. So why was it a great joy? Well, again, let's read the whole sentence. Good news of great joy because today in the town of Bethlehem, A saviour has been born. There's a reason for joy because the one being born, Jesus, the name literally means saviour. The other name he's given at his birth is Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
There is a reason for great joy because it's going to be possible through our Saviour, through God with us, for men and women and boys and girls to be wonderfully reconciled to our loving Heavenly Father. And if I asked you this morning, do you believe in God? You could treat that uh, as a very objective intellectual exercise and you'd go through your brain thinking, well, there are certain reasons why I might choose to believe in God and there's certain reasons why I might choose to disbelieve that there is a God. But friends, here's the thing. It is not an intellectual exercise. We don't gather in this place as a church because we believe in God. Because that's not reason enough. We gather in this place because we know that the God in whom we believe is Emmanuel, God with us. We know that God, the creator of this universe, sent his son Jesus into this world so that we might be reconciled to the love of our heavenly father and have such a depth of relationship with him that it impacts us on the deepest, most personal level. And we sing the carol, Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts over 300 years ago. Not written at a point in his life that was filled with great joy. In fact, it was the opposite. It was one of the lowest points of his life. And the story goes that at his lowest point, he turned to the Psalms and happened upon Psalm 98. And let's read from verse 4. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. There's the call to worship. Now, Isaac Watts at his lowest point might have said, that's a call to worship, but it does not relate to me. It seems so unrealistic. But he didn't because a call to worship is not subjective. It is on the basis of who God is and what God has done. And we, when we back up to verse 1, Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvellous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made His salvation known and revealed His righteousness to the nations. He has remembered His love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And this call to worship is a result of understanding that it is God. His divine plan of salvation for all mankind is something to be celebrated in spite of our circumstances. The call to worship is about the awesome reality of God's presence, that restorative nature of His salvation and that future promise of His coming. Remember, it's all about outward looking and forward looking. And Isaac Watts reads these words again, verse 4, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. 
And David, who writes this psalm, is so inspired. And Isaac Watts, as he reads this psalm at this lowest point, one of the darkest moments in his life, pens these words. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. The Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Friends, when you think of joy, you cannot separate joy from hope. It is a looking out of the situation. It is looking forward. Uh, in Isaac Watts's case, it's looking from a position of brokenness and sickness. It, it's looking to the fact that God is present, that God is a God of salvation, is a God of restoration. He is a God of hope. And even in that darkest moment, you can experience the presence that ability to know God and to relate God and to experience God even in difficulty. And friends, we should never think that joy and brokenness or brokenheartedness or sadness, we shouldn't think that joy and those things are opposites because they're not. We can actually find joy in that hope that the presence of God gives us. It's not hope for a happier life. It's something far deeper than that and more profound that only His presence can give us. A God who is sufficient to meet the deepest of needs. As the team come back, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, make His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And when the angels made that announcement to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. It was said from the perspective of, an, of eternity. It was an eternal perspective, an eternal hope. This was the announcement of the promised Messiah born into the world. And it may well be that those shepherds did not realise that in their lifetime. Maybe they lived their whole lifetime with unanswered questions about that angelic visitation. But today, friends, over 2,000 years later, you and I 
live in the light of that eternal hope. Over 2,000 years later, that good news of great joy continues to impact life on this planet like nothing else ever has or ever will. And I don't know where you are at with Jesus this morning. Whether you know God, whether He is present in your life, consciously present or not. But for each and every one of us, we need to know today that this good news of great joy is for us, for each and every one of us. This message of Christmas really is good news of great joy that can be a very real, deep spiritual reality. And I don't know where you're on this journey. Maybe you're close to God. Maybe you're far from Him. Maybe you have questions. What's this really all about? How does this meet the deepest needs of my life? How do I make this real for me? How do I have a relationship with God who cares, who loves me? A God who's in my life. Well, I urge you, friends, just reach out. That's why we exist at a church. Uh, As a church family, we live this out every day together, uh, encouraging each other on that journey, digging in, drawing close to God to understand the fullness of what this means and how we can live this joyous message out, no matter what life brings. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, if you're visiting today, just come down and say good day. I'll stand in the front for a few minutes. We'd also love to pray with you. But also respecting it's Christmas Day. We've got food to be at, naps to be had, um, Christmas movies from the 50s to watch, and the replay of the carols, which could replay from every year and you wouldn't know the difference. But anyway, it's all good. Thank you so much for being with us today. I trust that you will go into this Christmas day recognizing this good news of great joy uh, is an unfolding revelation in our lives. Let's leave rejoicing. Father, I thank you for each and every person. I speak blessing over every household, every home, every individual. Lord, our heart does go to those who are lonely this Christmas, broken this Christmas, even in our community. There will be those who are grieving this Christmas. And our heart is extended to them. And I thank you, God, in the midst even of the darkest moment, there is good news of great joy which transcends the moment. It is a present hope and a future hope. And Father, I pray that reality over every life, over our community this Christmas. In Jesus' name.